Hey y'all, welcome back to Unfiltered, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of race, sports, politics, and lots of other fun stuff through the lens of my life experience. I'm your host, Kaya McCullough, and today I have a very special episode for you. Part of the reason that I started this podcast is to have a space where I can talk about the things I care most about in an unfiltered, transparent way. I created Unfiltered to ensure that I have the ability to process my life experiences, whether they be successes or traumas, and reflect on their impact on my life. That being said, today I'm talking about something that truly changed my life trajectory forever. This is one of the first times I'm speaking publicly about this situation, and it honestly is still very scary, so please bear with me. But I want to put my own story out in my own words, through my own thoughts, and with my own feelings. So today, it's just me, you, and my story. You can make whatever judgments you want. You can think whatever you want about me after, but this is my truth. Um, I'm going to try and leave out names to protect people's privacy, but please remember that what I'm talking about happened to real people and affected real people's lives. So please keep that in mind as you're listening and before you rush to any judgments. Um, I don't exactly know how long this is going to take because I'm mostly going to be freestyling. I have some notes, don't worry. So I hopefully won't get too off topic, but here goes nothing. Let's get started. So as I'm sure you all have seen that Washington Post article, if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully, if not, I'm sure we can link it, um, where I went on the record to talk about my experience about the Washington spirit um, and while I was at the Washington spirit. Um, I want to preface this by saying that this wasn't something that I was going to ever talk about publicly. I, you know, kind of went through a really depressive state after I left the spirit uh, and once I was in Germany I got even more depressed um, <laughs> so I've been I've been going to therapy for the last eight months trying to get back to where I was pre-spirit um, pre-professional career mentally and emotionally and spiritually um, and I'm in a much better place now and that's probably the only reason that I was able to even talk about this and the only reason that I'm able to talk about this now. But again, I was not going to talk about this publicly. I was going to move on with my life and once I became president of the United States, I was going to write a memoir and recount everything that had got me up to that point. So this wasn't something where I was doing it maliciously. I wasn't trying to get revenge on anybody. I wasn't trying to come back and seek vengeance. Um, it wasn't that. It was a situation where Molly, the author of the article, um, messaged me and came to me on Twitter after hearing about some stuff regarding Richie and a player leaving um, more recently. And she figured that, you know, I might have some you know, perspective as to what that might be like, even though I've never said anything explicitly about my time at the Spirit, I think a lot of people might have been able to read through the lines that my time wasn't pleasant there. So it kind of just started as a conversation and through talking, it kind of confirmed a lot of what I think she had suspected and had been hearing for a while. And, you know, it was the first time that I was telling my story or this story to somebody that wasn't my mom or dad or my therapist. Um, so it felt really good to get out. And, you know, I thought that was going to be it. But then she presented the idea of going on the record to lend credibility to the, the article. And again, I want to preface this by saying I wasn't going to go on the record. I didn't want to deal with what I'm dealing with now. Being gaslit, that was exactly what I was afraid of. Um, I didn't want to be gaslit. I didn't want to have people question my character. I didn't want to have people retaliate against me. I didn't want to have people, you know, blame everything that's coming out on me not getting playing time. Um, I just didn't want to deal with it. I've, I've, I'm in such a good place now mentally, emotionally, and, and I knew that putting myself in that position could potentially set me back months. 
Um, but I talked to my therapist about it. I talked to my mom about it. I talked to my dad about it. And I realized that I didn't want to be responsible for that sort of behavior continuing and having somebody else have to go through an experience remotely similar to what me or any of the other people in the article went to uh, through, sorry. Um, so, you know, that was kind of my decision-making process between um, whether or not I wanted to go on the record or not, whether or not I wanted to come forward publicly about this. And obviously it's kind of snowballed. Um, I think a lot has been revealed about the spirit and who it is as an organization. And, you know, I also want to make clear, like it was never my intention to harm any of the players who are currently playing um, with all of this mess was never my intention to ruin their season or make their season more difficult for them. I have a lot of admiration for a lot of players on that team. And, um, I hope that they know that that was never my intention. Um, but I just think it was something that needed to be said. And, you know, as I'm, I'm moving on towards this next path in my life, uh, I've, I've just realized the importance of always standing up for people when they aren't able to stand up for themselves. And I wish that somebody would have been able to do that for me while I was there. And so that is really what kind of drove me to talk about this. So that is a really long introduction to this story. I'm sorry. Hopefully you're still with me. But um, yeah, so... I got drafted to the Spirit in February, no, January last year. Um, I ended up going to the Spirit early February. I'll be honest, I knew nothing about the organization. I didn't know who Richie was when <laughs> I, like maybe just 10 minutes before I got called, which, you know, say what you want about me, but I, I really went into this ignorant. Um, I didn't really know much about the Spirit as an organization. Um, I knew that they had some players that I had played against previously with and against. Um, so that was really cool. And obviously I got drafted with some people that I've, I've played with for a long time. So was really open to a good experience, was really excited. Um, you can go back into the interviews on draft day and I really was really excited to be in DC, especially because I've always known that my path would probably lead me towards politics or something along those lines. So was really excited to be able to have opportunities that could merge soccer and, um, all my other interests. So I got there early February. Um, first few weeks was just adjusting to being a professional player, getting used to playing in the snow, moving in across the country, living, you know, away from my parents, actually, for the first time in my life, um, not being near any family. It was just a lot of adjusting and um you know, just getting used to the faster pace of play, getting used to the schedule of a professional player. Not everybody was there at the time. I think some players were still in Australia, so it wasn't the full squad, um, but a lot of the rookies were there. Um, I think there was probably approximately like 10 new players. So everybody was kind of new to the environment, and it was really just a period of growth and learning. Um, started off well. I, I didn't notice anything out of pocket at the beginning. Um, I also want to preface this saying, like, I have had tough coaches in my life. I have had, I do well under discipline. I do well under having strict high standards. Um, I played at UCLA for four years under Amanda Cromwell, and she runs a pretty tight ship. Um, so I'm no stranger to, you know, having this high level of intensity, this high level of execution, being told that what you're doing and how you're playing isn't good enough. I've been there. I know that. So if at any point in the story, you think to yourself, well, maybe she just wasn't um, strong enough or mentally strong enough or mentally tough enough, uh, respectfully stick it back up your ass. Um, anyways, so I didn't notice anything at first. Again, it was kind of getting caught up in the hoopla of being a professional soccer player and the excitement of it all. 
Um, slowly but surely, though, it, it became apparent that Richie was very intense and less so that that he would um, like target specific players. Um, and then Tom was kind of his little I don't want to call him like a lapdog. That seems disrespectful, like his little sidekick that would kind of just not egg him on, but just wouldn't do anything about it. And it was like this kind of self, this self-sustaining circle that, you know, one of them would say something and the other would just, you know, let it happen. And it just became this really safe, unsafe environment um, over time for me and for other players. Um, I know that <laughs> like for us players, a lot of us would just on the bottom half, it happened to the players on the bottom half of the team. That's blatant like the players who were in the starting 11 the players who got a lot of minutes uh, the players who were on Richie's good side were not getting this and so if you ask them they might have a completely different experience with Richie and that's fine and I'm not going to invalidate their experiences at all their experiences at all however if you were on the bottom half of the team more than likely you would have been a target at one point or another to Richie's what I will describe as rage um, and, you know, I, ma I made really good friends on the bottom half of the team. Um, I guess second string, I'll call us. Um, we would make jokes about it, you know, trying to like avoid Richie, like don't say anything stupid. Um, but he would kind of just pick people to target at practice. And it was almost as if they couldn't do anything right. Um, and it was, it was scary and it, was intense and it was sad because you had to kind of just sit there and, you know, if it was happening to you, you just kind of had to take it and not break as to not seem weak. Um, not talk back as to not have him retaliate against you. Um, and if it wasn't happening to you, you couldn't say anything for the same reasons. Um, it really was an environment where we weren't pitted against each other, but there was no solidarity because I think we all feared that that could be us. As long as it wasn't you, you were okay. You were safe. Um, slowly but surely, I just, I realized like I would call my parents after every practice and I would psychoanalyze like every single thing that was said to me um, and search for any single good comment about my performance, about what I did to, you know, let me know that I was still in Richie's good graces and, that I was still, you know, a valued player on the team. Um, it became this like fixation that I would hold on to every single good thing that was said about me and try and shake off any of the bad things. Um, and it's, <laughs> that is a very, very toxic environment to be in. Um, I'll say this, like some of the worst stuff that happened didn't happen to me. And I don't want that to be misconstrued just because I was the one that went on the record. But if you read that article, and I'm sure if you ask players, <laughs> even though you can't, because um, they are anonymous, they would tell you that he said some pretty outlandish stuff to them. And to be witness to that and to fear that that could be you next was a scary environment to be in. Um and looking back, I've been in plenty of toxic relationships in my life. Don't know what that says about me. But anyways, um, that's exactly how manipulators work and how abusers work. They will berate you and say this stuff and then they'll turn around and they'll crack jokes with you and they'll play nice with you and get you back, you know, on their side and kind of distract you away from what's actually happening to you. And I think in a lot of ways, that was a pattern that was happening for a lot of people. Um, and I can reflect on that and I can, you know, I've come to terms with that. That's what therapy is for. If you don't go and you can try and go, cause it really helps come up with some of these revelations, but this, you know, it just created this feedback loop that was toxic and horrible to be in. And I would come back after practices and I would just cry. Like, I knew I wasn't playing well because I was so, so, so scared to mess up. And I wasn't able to perform to the best of my ability because I was terrified that I would just get yelled at. Um, I remember there was this one practice. It was before the Challenge Cup. We were practicing on these like 
this field. It was so, so hot out. Like our practice had gotten moved to later in the day for some reason, I think because of rain maybe. And um, it was just, it was miserable. It was literally a miserable practice. And a few of the rookies, like the true rookies who hadn't played professionally before, just had a bad practice. We we had a bad practice. And I remember him pulling us into a group after and just like berating us and calling us dog shit and that we need to be better. Otherwise, we're going to get waved. And it's just this really it's just a scary thing to be, you know, pulled into. Um, and I think it was mentioned in the article, but it felt like when he was doing that stuff that he was saying it personally at you. It, it felt like it didn't feel like it was like, Oh, that was really bad performance. Um, it needs to be better. It felt like because you played bad, your value is less to me. Like not only as a player, but as a person, that's the best way I can describe, um, how it felt to be coached under Richie. Um, and you know, there are several, there was several more incidents, um, in the year, um, at the challenge cup, there's this one training where this player, like, I don't even remember, we were doing some drill, maybe like scrimmaging, like doing like a A team versus B team kind of thing. And we, uh, the B team was being like the opponent so that you could like practice your formation and stuff and how you're going to build out. And one of, one of our players, I think on the B team, like, stole the ball from a player that was on the A team as we were like doing the scrimmage and Richie, it, and it was, you know, I don't think it would have been called as a foul in the game. Um, she won the ball pretty cleanly, but the A team player kind of came out of it a little shaken and Richie like lost it. He went postal. He started screaming about how she better not fucking hurt one of our starting star players and da, 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 and literally like for a solid minute probably berated this player and we were all kind of looking at each other like I thought it was a clean tackle like I don't think you did anything wrong and I remember people going up to that player after and telling her like you're fine you're fine like what you did you're fine um side note that is a lot of what happened like there was a lot of solidarity after the fact um showing support for players after the fact but just not super publicly um in front of <laughs> the coaches so that you weren't you know considered a uh I don't even have the language for it right so you won't consider like a co-conspirator um but yeah it was it was horrible and it was horrible that she had to deal with that and she was crying after and I mean anytime that you're yelled at doing something that so minor and that like wasn't even that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things like the player wasn't hurt it was the fact that she could have hurt that player by going into a hard tackle it was it was madness and I think that you know shows how he valued one half of the team over the other half of the team like that in itself shows just how like expendable we were but now that how inexpendable others were um it really created this like hierarchy um on the team and even though everybody was like friends on the team and you know I didn't really have any problems with too many players um it definitely was like this unspoken kind of divide and not saying that that doesn't happen on a lot of teams because it does but I think it was just exasperated by the fact that the treatment was so blatant from the coach um, and the two halves on the divide were treated so differently. Um, there's another incident at the Challenge Cup. I don't know. I couldn't really see it on the stream. I went back to try and look at it. But I was sitting on the – I wasn't even sitting on the bench. I was not dressed out. So I was sitting in the stands. And um, this player, like, was her debut in the game or for the team. And – she, you know, needed to come up big and 
she got on the field and, you know, had a few bad passes. And I, I remember me and the people who were sitting up in the stands were like, oh, my gosh, like, you're OK. You're OK. Like, you got the next one. You got the next one. Just like praying in our heads that she would kind of get it together because we knew what was coming if she didn't. And literally, he was just screaming at her. Um you need to do, I don't even remember. I'm not going to say exact words because I don't remember them, but like just screaming at her to the point where she needed, you know, she started hyperventilating and you could see her having a panic attack on the field and anybody could see it. Anybody could see it, but he just didn't stop. And she ended up kind of like getting through it mid play mid while still playing in this big game and her debut. And, um, I don't know. And it just didn't stop. And after the game, he started yelling at her again for it and just being super disrespectful to her. And that, I think, exemplifies, you know, the difference between being a hard coach, being a strict coach with high standards and being a coach that creates a really, really toxic environment for players and that abuses his players. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about men coaching non-men, especially at the professional level, especially when they're unqualified, but it automatically creates this power dynamic. Um, you know, I don't want to get into a full discussion about the patriarchy and how all that works. However, it automatically creates this power imbalance. So when you're, you're empowering this man to have this position of power over players who he can quite literally control their contracts and their, um, you know, their living, their apartment, their paycheck, their income, their food. When you have somebody who has that sort of power over people and who threatens to use that power over people and <laughs> who doesn't have the character to have that power over people, I think that creates a problem. Um, clearly, it creates a problem. And, um, you know, it's just it's still it's still tr- something that I'm I'm working through every day. I, I don't think people realize that. Like, I I quit soccer. I realized I didn't want to deal with this. I didn't want to put myself in a position to have to deal with somebody like that again. And quite frankly, I don't think the NWSL is a safe space for players. I don't think that they care about player safety. Um, and so it was just a decision that I made for myself. And, you know, given that I wanted to do other things anyways, that was the best decision for me. And I know for a fact that other people have left that team because of Richie. I've had so many people DM me, staff, players, people that he used to play or he used to coach who have come forward and told me, hey, I went through something really similar under him. And thank you for speaking out. Like, I wish I could have spoken out about it before. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. And the fact that so many people are like victim blaming themselves and are gaslighting themselves. I can relate. That's something I've been doing this whole time. Like, what if I just spoke up earlier? What if I, maybe that wouldn't have happened to that player who had to leave this year. Um, What if I had, you know, stood up for myself? Maybe I would have lost my contract, but maybe it would have stopped happening to other players. Um, And in terms of gaslighting, like just, you know, making sure that I'm not making this up in my head. Like there's so there's so many people who have the same exact story and yet still I'm the one thinking that I'm crazy for having gone through this and I'm the one being invalidated, not only by myself, but by other people. And that's something that I've I'm working on and it's a work in progress, but it's something I, I fight with every day and you know, whether or not I can I can trust myself to stand up for myself in situations like losing respect for myself for not saying something sooner. Um, It's been a process and it's been a healing process and, you know, I'm stronger for it, but um, yeah, it's been tough. Um, So 
the next thing I'm going to talk about is I think people have been quite frankly dancing around this topic and that's on why Tom Torres was fired. Maybe I'll be the one to air the dirty laundry right here, right now. Um, I didn't sign an NDA. I didn't sign anything like that. So here you go. Tom Torres was fired for sexually harassing us after the challenge cup. Um, we were sad that we lost and we got a bunch of alcohol and we were having a dance party down in the hotel out yard, like outside courtyard. Um, just getting drunk, getting belligerent drunk. We're like 21 year old, 22 year olds. Um, or like in our early twenties, most of the team, we were a young team. So yeah. And you know, Richie was not there. Um, to be clear, he, that's one thing he made a boundary for. He was not there. Um, and a few of the staff were there. A few of the staff were younger though, but then Tom was there drinking with us and Tom got really drunk and started saying out of pocket shit to players. And, um, you know, I'm not going to repeat it there as to not trigger anybody who's listening, but you know, it was inappropriate. And a few players, you know, ended up going to the captains who then went automatically to Steve. And when we got back, he got fired immediately, which was awesome. But when they put out the statement, they're like, he's here to pursue other opportunities. And that, my friends, is when I notice or when I realize that I might be in a very okay pause that is not when I first realized this but <laughs> that was when it was really explicitly clear to me that I might not be in an environment that has my best interests at in mind because they lied to all of you they lied to the media they lied to the fans and it was an environment where a player wasn't going to say anything different we weren't going to go up against our owners and we weren't going to go up against our calm team or we weren't going to go against our coaches we weren't going to come out and say hey that's not why he got fired um so do with that what you will i know there has been some reporting about it um lately so it might not be a shock to any of you but i just want to make it explicitly clear that that is what happened and you know i don't think men like that should be coaching women or non-men so um, that was just one thing that I wanted to make sure was explicitly clear for me because I'm done protecting people who abuse and I'm done protecting people who sexually harass women. So anyways, what else am I going to talk about here? Sorry. Let me take a, a brief hiatus. Um, let's talk about the racially insensitive incidents that occurred with Richie. I want to make it explicitly clear here that I don't think that this was directed towards me. I'm not here to say that Richie is a racist. I'm not here to say, you know, I'm not here to state my judgment of character on this. Um, but these are incidents that happened that made me feel a type of way, especially in the climate that happened that were very racially insensitive and that were very racially charged. So... The first one that I remember is when we were in Florida and it was right before, you know, COVID kind of lockdown happened and we were eating dinner in this like cafeteria and it was me and um, Richie and a few other players. I don't remember. I have a notebook. I think I might have written it, written it down, but um and we were discussing, you know, just our lives, talking about our life stories. This is still pretty early, early March. So this was at the point where, again, I hadn't really noticed anything too out of pocket with Richie yet. Um, and he was kind of telling me and other people that were with us some of his background. And it was a great conversation, whatever. But then he started talking about how, um, I don't remember how it got brought up how he used to defend his sister for calling, for being, people used to call his sister the N-word, and he used to defend her from those people and would beat them up for it. I know that might have gotten lost in translation, so he wasn't calling anybody that, he wasn't 
you know, anything like that. He was defending his sister for being called the N-word. The part that was insensitive towards me was that he said it, hard ER. And if you're not black, you shouldn't be saying that, one. And I know that there's some cultural differences there with him being English and, you know, the context of the word in America. But at the same time, it's 2020. We should know that white people do not say the N-word. And at that, white people do not say the hard ER with the N-word. That's unacceptable. And it took me aback. And I was just kind of, uh, and immediately after that, I kind of tensed up. And (laughs) the conversation just kind of got uncomfortable for me. Again, it was a racially insensitive incident. It happened more than once. That specific same story, it happened one more time. I don't remember when, because at this point, I was not writing stuff down, even though I should have been for my memoir. But um, yeah, another one was the kneeling on the dummy incident. This is the one to me where I'm calling it racially insensitive, but it was fucked up. Um we were figuring out what we wanted to do for our picture to show solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. It was after George Floyd was already murdered and we were training at this like college field before the Challenge Cup. We were ready to go in. We might have done pictures or something. I don't know. We were we were just we were taking pictures and we were going to do a picture of us kneeling as a team. It might be on their Instagram. I don't know. I'll try and find it. But they were talking. He was talking to me and I think another black player to kind of get our thoughts and opinions about what we thought you know, would be the best way to kind of demonstrate that solidarity with kneeling. Um, and then he made the joke that maybe we should kneel on the practice dummies that we have these big we had these blow up inflatable dummies they were white and kind of big and he made the joke of like let's kneel on these dummies and I was just I was just floored I (laughs) I'm not very good about hiding the expressions on my face I don't know if you can tell and I literally might have gone like before I could compose myself because literally I was so taken aback, especially given the situation that we were in as a country, especially given that that's exactly how George Floyd died. Um, I'm not going to make any judgments about what his intentions were, but that for me was another point where I felt very unsafe, not around him but just in the environment that I was having to live in because I had people that were making jokes about kneeling on dummies for pictures supporting black lives matter. And, you know, it was a very, very tough space to navigate as a black woman. The other one that really, really stuck out to me was while we were at the challenge cup and one of the players got like kind of hit in the eye and her eye started started bruising and he said black eyes matter and again why trivialize black lives matter movement in a time where it's so important and it's so triggering for players um not all players but you're black players um it's just a pattern i recognized i'm not gonna make again i'm not gonna make judgments one way or another but that was a pattern that i was subjected to and that we were subjected to. And I know that they were, you know, framed in a joking, jovial context, but at the end of the day, they're microaggressions. And it, it <laughs> it's hard to explain if you're like not a minority how difficult it is to be in a space where you feel as if your value as a human is being joked about. I, I remember like I would come to the <laughs> the pre like trading things before my hair was up and I'd have my hair big and curly and wild and not tamed at all. And, you know, he would call me a lion. And again, that's a microaggression. There's not malice behind it, but it is still something that made me uncomfortable to be a black woman in that space. And 
there wasn't really anything or anybody for me to go to to talk about that. Um, there were a few people who I knew I had in my corner, but at the end of the day, what could they do? Because they were still under the control of these people in power. And so any solidarity we might have had was only that solidarity. It wasn't any sort of real power to do anything or to affect change or to change the conditions. Um, so that's, you know, it was a, t it was a tough environment to be in. Um, especially, especially, especially because I feel as if I basically became their token black player and, I was the one shouldering the burden of doing a lot of the anti-racist work that was expected of organizations. I was the one doing panels. I was the one engaging with media. I was the one interacting with fans about these issues. And I think because I was the one shouldering that burden, a lot of people then assumed it was coming from the organization itself when that just wasn't the case. Yes, while they were arranging things, um, like the speaking panels and stuff. Yes, that came from them. But at the end of the day, I was the one doing the labor. I was the one doing the hard work, a black woman in the midst of a new civil rights movement. I was the one still shouldering that burden. And I don't think a lot of people realize that if you look back and you see what work they were doing is me. And I'm not going to take credit for all of it. Um, there definitely were people on the team. Um, I can't speak to the like the front office or the organization who were doing the work to learn and who were listening and who were engaging in these conversations with me. So I'm not going to say, you know, everybody was just not doing their part because there were people. But at the end of the day, there was two black people on the team while I was there. And... um. That was just a lot of weight to carry. It was a lot of weight to carry. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how else to really describe it. Um, and I. I felt very unsupported in a lot of ways, and I felt failed by a lot of people. And that's not to blame anybody. I don't. I just want people to recognize the role that they played in creating a space that was not safe for black players. Um, <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember this one like meeting that we had at the challenge cup where uh, the coaches were pretty much like, mm, we're not going to talk about this, but you guys can, we're going to leave the room discuss basically like everything that was going on. And it turned into a conversation about like everybody kind of giving their opinions on what was happening. And I was just kind of sitting there, me and the other black person, we were like, we were kind of just sitting there and both of us broke down in tears. Both of us, I, I immediately got up to my seat and walked over to her and just hugged her. And we just sat there crying and we just sat there sobbing and everybody looked on and everybody looked at us and stared at us, maybe for a solid two minutes of us just crying. Because there was, there was just no words that could be said about what was happening and the burden that we were carrying. And this was sort of around the time where, like, a lot of the black players in the league had started communicating. Um, I think it was prior to, like, the actual formation of the Black Women's Player Collective. But there wasn't a support network for black players. There wasn't a support network within the organization or within the league. There wasn't anything for us. Um, and we just cried and we trauma bonded. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have a friend for life now, but it was because of the trauma that we were experiencing together. Um, and, you know, that's just another reason where, why I decided that I was in an unsafe environment. I had players who, <laughs> when it came to kneeling, were like writing me letters about why they were not going to kneel in solidarity with me and with other black people in the league and black Americans writing letters. And then, you know, wanting to like discuss over coffee with me. And I was like, I literally did not respond. I was like, I'm not entertaining this conversation, but 
that was the harm that I was subjected to um, during my time of the spirit. And I was vastly unsupported um, by most people. Um, and then there's the, then there's the, the part of me not playing. Um, I don't want this to sound, hold on. I don't want this to sound like some conspiracy theory. And that's why I didn't really mention it in the article. But since you're here and since we're talking about it, I didn't play a minute for the team that I was recruited for. I was a good player in college. I played against a lot of people who were doing well and thriving in the league. A lot of I played with a lot of people. I played against a lot of people. I had a very good career at UCLA. And again, it is professional soccer. It's a level up. It's a lot more intense. But again, I played with a lot, a lot of people who were in the league. So I know my ability was there. Maybe, maybe, maybe I was playing worse because of the environment that I was in. I can acknowledge that. But when you have a coach that goes on video saying, we're not here to be activists. We're here to play soccer. And there's only one activist on the team. It starts to feel a little personal. From a sports psychology perspective, we try to focus on the football side, the competitive side, and try to minimize that because they're here to do a job. They're not here to be political activists. Um, though some of them do take that, this platform to help out in that area. And again, I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to you know, complain that I didn't get any playing time and he ruined my life and my playing career. I'm not going to do that because at the end of the day, I'm on my path and I'm better for it. But I do feel like I was very, very ostracized for my activism. And I feel like I was iced out and never really given a fair opportunity to play, um, which is what I was getting paid there to do. I was told I wasn't ready to play in the league. I was told it was my fitness um, but then when I would ask our fitness director, or whatever his title was, I had no answer. I was given no answers for why my fitness wasn't where it needed to be. If that's your job to make me fit and I'm not there, then what's happening. And then when I asked for an explanation or what I could be doing better, what extra I could be doing, I was given no explanation. So I'm not saying, again, this is this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not me crying about not getting playing time. At the end of the day, I don't care. But for me, it felt like I was iced out of the team because of the stances that I was taking and because of my activism. Um, I wasn't even allowed to dress out, <laughs> which felt targeted because dressing out was the way that you, you got to kneel on television. Um, which is what I had been doing for four years prior or three years prior. Um, I was allowed to dress out for one game. Um, and everybody at the Challenge Cup, I don't know if people know this, everybody was allowed to dress out. Um, it was a coaching decision that they made. I guess for our team, it was probably like five per game. And there was only one game out of however many we played at the Challenge Cup that I was allowed to dress up. And then I was allowed to kneel. So, again not a conspiracy theory, just something that gives more context to why I decided to leave. I didn't think I was going to get any playing time, even in the fall series, even in games that didn't count. I didn't think I was going to give be given the opportunity to actually play. Um, I was sick of the culture. I was sick of the lack of support. And I was sick of the psychological terror that I was going through. Um, it got to the point I, I don't know if this helps you put it into like context. It got to the point where I was almost praying to get injured at practice so that I wouldn't have to be on the actual field. And that sounds really sick and demented, but that's where I was at. Um, I didn't, I didn't even want to be in the position where I could be yelled at. Um, but yeah, so that's why I left. And then I went to Germany and didn't have a great experience there either because I was, <laughs> the club was a psycho and was very underfunded and didn't have a lot of support there. Um, but yeah, that's what led me to my decision to quit soccer. Um, 
I guess, you know, having told all that, I did learn something from it. I did learn things from it. I learned about solidarity and how powerful it can be and how much people in power rely on lack of solidarity um, in order to maintain power. Um, Like I said, in a lot of situations while I was playing at Spirit, there wasn't a lot of, you know, solidarity out loud. And who knows? I'm not going to speculate, but maybe something, maybe a different outcome could have happened if people could stand up for each other. And if we all were able to come together and speak out about what was happening in the culture of our team. On the other hand, I see now how solidarity can work. And, you know, even though those people were unnamed in the article, even though there are people who didn't go through this exact experience, but who have gone through something similar. The power of people coming together and demanding change for things that are important and demanding these systems of power to crumble, it's incredible. And the amount of support that I've gotten for, you know, putting my name on this article is quite astounding. Um, I I will say I'm not a hero. I've heard that word thrown around a lot of times. I'm just a person who cares about other people. And I care about making sure that people are not facing harm and are not suffering under these systems of power and these systems of oppression. Um, And I don't think I'm particularly brave either. I think it was more me absolving my guilty conscience for letting this go on for so long. It was more me selfish. I'm not going to call it selfish, but me rectifying this ache in my heart, um, knowing that this stuff happened and that it still might be happening to others. Um, and just not wanting it to happen again. I, I don't think that you know, putting my name onto an article is, is particularly brave. I think it's just the right thing to do. Um, I also learned about trauma bonding. I learned how experiences with trauma can make you forever friends with people. And, um, you know, I, I now have a network of support that I never would have had if I wasn't at the Spirit and if I didn't spend part of my career in Washington um, whether that be fans, players, allies, I've I've truly gained such a wonderful network of people that I know I can rely on through all things. Um, and a lot of that was trauma based. And, you know, I'm not I'm laughing because that's how I deal with my trauma. But um, it really can be a, a powerful thing when people are able to come together on common ground and fight for things that they care about. Um, I also learned about putting my mental health first. I think a lot of times athletes in particular are kind of taught to push through instances of mental unwellness and don't prioritize it for the sake of performance. And I learned that if I'm going to survive in this world, especially given the climate now, that my mental health comes first always. My mental and physical health come first always. And for me, that was removing myself from a sport that had caused me harm. And it was removing myself from a sport and a situation that made me feel small and that made me feel like I didn't deserve good things. Um, And it's tough. It's sad. I I played soccer for 18 years and I, I don't know if I'll ever play again. I coach now. And so it's been really nice being able to see the joy that it still brings people before they're kind of crushed by the system. Um, but oh, I'm getting emotional. It's sad. It's sad having to give up something that you've done your whole life. Um, and for me, Soccer was the way that I dealt with trauma. 
soccer was my safe space. It was something that got me through my parents' divorce. It got me through family deaths. It got me through so many traumas. And it was always there for me. And to have it turn into something that was unsafe and rotten and that caused me harm was hard. And I decided I didn't want it to continue turning into something that was harmed. I wanted it to, to be as it was for me forever. And I don't know if that makes sense, but... Um, you know, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'll play again. I, I hope I will one day. I hope I have kids that want to play soccer and I hope that I'll be able to play in those old adult <laughs> rec leagues. Um, but we'll see. We will see. I'm really excited that there's some some California teams coming in into town. So my love for soccer is still there. It, it's coming back slowly, but surely after this whole ordeal, I didn't touch a soccer ball for months, probably like four months. I, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, I literally this week opened my boxes that I sent from Washington from like when I was leaving Germany. So I haven't touched any of my stuff for, about a year. Um, so this whole process has been very, very overwhelming and um, time consuming and slow, but I'm getting there. And this podcast is really cathartic for me um, because getting the opportunity to tell my truth is, I think, just another step towards healing. Um, Another thing great that came out of this was putting me on the path to activism. Not that I wasn't already walking down that path, but really showing me a, a tangible next step um, in my career outside of soccer. Uh, as people hopefully know, I'm in the process of applying to law school right now. And I don't know that I would have been able to take that leap had I not gone through the past year. And so I wouldn't change anything about it. I, you know, it sucks that myself and others had to go through that, but I wouldn't change anything about it because it made me stronger and it pointed me in the direction that I meant to walk. And it has empowered me to do so much more with my privilege and with my platform and with my voice. So at the end of the day, um, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I got to experience what I did because again, I'm better for it. Um, in terms of what, what can be done so that this doesn't happen again, I don't have all the answers. I'm 23. I'm inexperienced. Um, all I really have is my intuition and my life experience, not, you know, any <laughs> work experience other than soccer, really. But um, I do know that the NWSL needs to be a lot better as a league. I don't know that they'll listen to this. Um, I don't know that they ever listen to anybody, to be fair. But um, while I was there, there was no reporting mechanisms. There was no way for players to speak out about these harms that were being done for them. And that is unacceptable. I don't know what the anti-harassment policy that they have now looks like, but whatever it is, players need to know what their resources are, that they're supported unconditionally. There needs to be ways for players to report anonymously or slash and slash without fear of retaliation, because clearly some of the men in this league will retaliate as we are seeing play out live right now. Um, and there needs to just be a lot stronger of a support network for players, mental health, um, you know, support. There needs to be, there needs to be anti-harassment training for all staff, all owners, all players. Um, there needs to be, again, strong protection from retaliation, strong anti-harassment policies, 
zero tolerance policies for hiring coaches with past of sexual assault, sexual harassment, abuse. Fuck. If one person would have done a better job about hiring these people, I wouldn't have been put in this situation. And I'm not putting that blame on anybody, but we're all culpable here. And people need to do better. People need to demand more that these people, that these abusers, that these unqualified men are not put in these positions of power that they can do harm on players. Um, This is something I could rant about for hours. And I can't believe that I was even put in the position that I was knowing that people knew about Richie's past. I cannot believe that I was put in that position. And again, I'm trying to let live and let go, but it needs to be better. And, you know, (laughs) you know, there's this sort of reckoning that's happening now. I feel like within the league and I think people are waking up and I hope that they continue waking up um, because it happens way too often that players are put in positions of harm by the people who are supposed to protect them. And it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Um, finally, I think there needs to be a lot more transparency between like the league, the teams and their players and their fans. Um, things would work a lot better if people knew what was going on instead of lying to fans and lying to media about how things are working. I think transparency is a way that we can not ensure, but encourage better behavior from (laughs) these organizations. And again, I don't, I don't think corporations have goodness in their hearts. I don't think any organization that is trying to make a profit is going to try and do what's best all the time for its employees. If you can point to one, please let me know. But I think transparency would make it a lot harder for this shady stuff to be happening within the league. Um, And, you know, I, I hope for the sake of the players that are still in the league, I hope for the sake of the players that will one day be in the league that it'll improve and that something like this never happens again. Again, I wouldn't wish it on anybody and I'm not saying I'm a victim. I'm not saying, you know, feel sorry for me or anybody else, but it can be a lot better. Um, I hope for all of our sakes that it's a lot better. That's, you know, my story. And I guess the moral of the story is fuck abusers and fuck people who use their... Fuck abusers and fuck people who use their positions of power to harm others in whatever capacity. Um, I hope that more people are encouraged to tell their truth and their stories. Um, If anybody wants to do it on my podcast, my DMs are open. Would love to have you. Um, And finally, just at the end of the day, this is just a chapter in my life that I want to move on from. I have so many bigger and better things going on in my life right now. Um, and I'm just excited to move forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this can really spark good change, good positive change in the league and in women's soccer in general. And that we all can work together to create a much better path forward. So if you're still here, thanks for listening. I will be back soon, hopefully with more wonderful guests talking about a lot more fun topics and a lot more things that I'm very passionate about. So thank you for supporting me. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, Feel free to follow on Instagram or on Twitter. We will drop the socials in the description. I believe one of them is unfiltered WKM Uh, might be both of them. Uh, I haven't, (laughs) I haven't done this in a while, so sorry, but check out two cents. Um, Thank them for allowing me to 
share my story and take up space when other people don't want me to. So ta-ta for now.